Our sermon series this month is entitled Peace on Earth. And I really believe that now more than ever, peace is something that is needed. We see just by the nightly news, when we turn on uh, the news, um, just everything going on locally or abroad, just we, we think, Lord, come, come quickly, because of just the way the world seems to be reacting with one another. Jesus in Matthew 24, 12, he says that because of the lawlessness that abounds, the love of many will grow cold. And we need to be careful that we don't allow our hearts to become desensitized to what's going on out there. That we just uh, begin to circle the wagons, as they say, and they say, as long as it doesn't affect my house or my home or my family, then, then I just don't want to be bothered with what's going on out there. But the truth is, is that it does affect us. What we see and what we witness and what goes on in others' lives, it affects us. The way we respond to people, the way we react, uh, the way we are maybe less inclined to want to help someone because uh, of, of a fear that the enemy would want to put in our hearts to, to help someone out in their time of distress. And that's why I believe that this sermon series, Peace on Earth, is so timely. Not just because it's the time of Christmas, but because we... As the people of God, we have peace in our lives. And we, as the people of God, understand what true peace means, that we have a God in heaven that loves us, that gives us peace, regardless of any storm or conflict or trial or whatever devil might be knocking on our door. We serve the Prince of Peace. We serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one that is able to comfort us and sustain us through any struggle. I read this quote, and it said, it says, Peace is not the absence of conflict, but the ability to cope with it. And as long as we're in this world, we're going to have conflict. We're going to experience some kind of struggle. We're going to experience some kind of, uh, of, 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 of opposition within our lives. Things don't always go the way we plan or intend for them to go. You know, there was, there's, no, there's no scripture in the Bible that says once you receive Jesus Christ, all your problems are gone. It's just not there. But God is good. And, and tonight, I entitled this message, The Provision of Peace. Peace within. No matter what kind of conflict we are experiencing or, or may experience, as long as the Spirit of God is on the inside, and as long as our eyes are focused on God, we can continue to have his peace within our lives. Uh, Merriam-Webster, the dictionary defines peace as a state of tranquility or quiet, freedom from disquieting uh, or oppressive thoughts or emotions, harmony in personal relations, a state of period of mutual concord between governments, the absence of war. And I believe that people desire to have peace within their lives. I believe most people desire to live a life that is uh, free of strife, free of trial, free of persecution, free of conflict, uh, free of temptation. But I think oftentimes that peace, uh, that hunger for peace, it, it's, it's elusive. It's elusive for many people. It's, it just seems to be within grasp, but you're never able to attain it. You're never able to reach it. And it might be because of, of poor decisions. Bible talks about us making right decisions. It might be because of strongholds that are present in our lives. It might be because of the inability to work through difficulties. 
I mean, no, we need to work through those times of conflict, work through difficulties. So the peace of God, the peace that God offers, is not just about the absence of conflict. The peace of God, it points to something greater in the midst of that conflict. So the peace of God doesn't remove us from the problems and our struggle, but what it does is it points us to the one that is greater than our problems and greater than our struggles and greater than whatever it is that might be coming against us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. We know this scripture. If you're here during Prayer Central on the first Friday of every month, you'll see it uh, on our screens. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What's the result? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard or protect your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What an awesome promise that if we just focus on God, if we come to him in thanksgiving, in prayer, and if we come to him with our, with our needs, uh, that, that the peace of God that is beyond our comprehension will fill us, will guard us, will protect us, our minds and our hearts. This is where the battle is oftentimes. The Bible makes it clear that we can know peace. That we can know a peace that gets us through any storm, that gets us any, through, through any trial or through any circumstance. We can know that peace through the Prince of Peace. And that's my first point tonight is that the peace of God comes through peace with God. I think before many of us here knew Jesus personally, had a relationship with God, uh, uh, it was hard to find peace might not have been peace in our homes. We might not have had peace in our relationships, our marriages, our families, uh, our thoughts. We would look for peace in all sorts of things. We look for something to just dull that pain or that hurt that we might have been experiencing. Well, we'd look to maybe drugs or alcohol, relationships, money, what, Gangs, you, you name it, there's, there's always something that the enemy will offer to try to fill the void that only God can fill. I've, um, I don't really have any statistics on this, but it's just something I've witnessed personally within the probably past few years is that I've seen a lot of, of young people kind of gravitating towards new age uh, uh, practices, new age philosophies, new age uh, um, beliefs. And, and, I don't, and I think it's not so much because they want to be into the occult or, or into something that's demonic, but because they're looking for peace. They're looking for something to bring a peace on the inside. They're looking for something to, to, to ease what they're going through, and, and they think they can find in this false, which is demonic uh, practice. book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 1, says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 14, says for he himself is our peace. These two scriptures, they reference the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It was what he did on the cross that gives us our peace. It was the violent death that he experienced uh, that we are able to have 
peace with God. See, he bridged the gap. Because we're sinful people. We're born in sin. And Jesus, uh, the Son of God, the, was perfect. Never sinned. Was sinless. That's why he was the ultimate sacrifice. That when he hung on that cross and he outstretched his arms and he asked the Father to forgive us because we don't know what we're doing. And he said, Lord, it's finished. Father, it is finished. I commend my spirit to you. It was with that that uh, he was able to bridge the gap and so that now we can have a relationship with God. We can come to Jesus Christ. We can turn away from our sins. We can no longer be bound by the things we used to be bound by, and we can have an experience with Christ. We can have a relationship with God. We don't have to rely on crystals or burn things within the house. We can trust in God. We can seek God. We can tap into the Most High, the the divine Jesus. John 14, 27, he says, my peace I give to you. That's the greatest Christmas gift we can receive this year, is the peace of God in our lives. It's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. You know, we get excited Christmas morning when we're opening gifts. Uh, I get excited when I see my little grandkids opening their gifts. Uh, You know, there's smiles from ear to ear. You know, there's just a big mess in the living room. But you know what happens is that after a while, no matter what they receive, those toys, they they lose their luster. Right? You know, those gifts that we open on Christmas morning, maybe it's what we wanted or maybe it's not what we wanted, uh, they can't give us the peace that the gift of God can give us. Bible tells of a man that was demon-possessed. This man, he was uh, in a constant state of torment. I was says that there were so many demons that possessed them that their name was Legion because there were so many. And this individual, he couldn't be contained. He would, he would strip naked. He would cut himself. Uh, they would chain him up, and he would break the chains. They, they would put him in the catacombs uh, because he was hopeless. He was a lost cause. He was so tormented by all these demons, he had no peace within his life. And sometimes I... When I'm driving, I I see individuals, and I see that they're struggling. You can see it on their faces. You can see them as as their minds uh, are are just in such a state because of the substance abuse or traumas or whatever it is that might have gotten them to that point. Uh, You say, man, my heart goes out to them. How can we help them, Lord? How can we... How can we share the good news with these individuals? And here was this individual. He was in that state. He was, he was so tormented, and he, was, uh, he had no peace. But then Jesus came onto the scene. Then Jesus arrived. How many know that when things seem hopeless uh, or that it's a lost cause, things shift and they change once Jesus comes into the scene? That the minute Jesus in, is invited into the situation, things have to have to change. Now the demonic are put on notice, uh, and Jesus comes in, and he looks at this man, and he understands what's going out, uh, what's going on, and he casts the demons out of this man. He rebukes those demons, and he casts them out, uh, and this man experiences freedom. He experiences deliverance. Uh, 
He experiences a, a touch of Jesus Christ. That's good news tonight because he still is the answer. He was the answer then, and he's the answer now. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 35, it says that the town, the townspeople, they went out to see what had happened. I mean, no one's... When, when, when the lost cause, right, the black sheep, who put whatever label you want on them, when they get saved, man, people start talking. People start saying, I cannot believe so-and-so is changing, is saved, is transformed. It's the power of God in a person's life. And they went out to see what had happened. And they, the Bible says that they, they came to Jesus. They found the man from whom the demons departed, and he was sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Here they seen him. They, they saw his testimony. They knew who this individual was. They knew he had no peace. They knew he was tormented. They knew he was demon-possessed. He was wild. And now all of a sudden, he's calm, in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's an awesome testimony. And you know what else is that? What I was thinking when I, when I was reading that is the, is the altar is the altar. How important is the altar when the altar call is made? It's not just the time to come up and, 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 and it's a time to get a hold of God. It's a, it's a time to come and sit at the feet of Jesus. It's a time to come and experience deliverance. It's a, come, it's a time to come and intercede for a lost family member. It's a time to come and, and worship. And I really believe that that altar call is where breakthroughs take place. It's when you're sitting at the feet of Jesus. If you want God's keeping power on your life, make the altar calls. Make the altar calls. Well, what you're talking about didn't really pertain to me, but it might have pertained to someone you know. You make the altar call. And you get a hold of God. And you watch him move in the, in the situation and in the circumstance. The Bible says that his mind was now sound. It was sane. It was self-controlled. Why? Because he was at peace. He was at peace with the Lord. He was at peace with God. That's the power of God. And no matter how self-destructive uh, we might have been, at that moment we surrendered to Jesus, uh, and his spirit comes inside of us, uh, we have peace now. We're able to experience that peace. We're no longer the same. The Bible says that the old man now has passed away. All things become new. This comes, though, when we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ. And if you're in this place and you're fighting the things of God and you're fighting the call of God and you're fighting God in your life, let it go. Let it go, because he has the power to heal. He has the power to change. He has the power to give you peace tonight. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 5 and 7, it says, Now, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death. But letting the spirit control your minds, or your mind, excuse me, leads to life and peace. 
for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. And it never did obey God's laws, and it never will. It's talking about an inner battle going on. And if you want peace in your life, you have to allow the Spirit of God to begin to control your mind. And what I mean by control your mind is that influence the decisions that you make. Uh, influence the way you speak, the way you speak to others. Uh, being led by the Spirit. Pastor Dan, last week, he spoke about the strategy of the enemy. And that strategy of the enemy that was found back in Genesis is still present today, and that is to cause hostility between us and God. And the enemy, he uses different strategies and different schemes. He, he use, he'll use the sin of rebellion and, and, and disobedience. That when God is speaking to us, and he's prompting us to do something. He's prompting us to uh, um, whatever it is that it might be. But when we begin to resist him, when we begin to, to say, I don't want that. I don't want to do that. That's, that's, that's sin. That's rebellion. That's disobedience. And it, and it robs us of our peace. God is faithful. And he's able to help us through any struggle, and through any, any stronghold we might find ourselves facing. He's greater than any sin. He's greater than any strategy of the enemy. But God works with us. He partners with us. And when we are in rebellion, when we are in disobedience, then it stops the hand of God from doing what he wants to do in our lives, and it robs us of our peace. The enemy uses temptations, and worldly seductions to try to lure us away from the things of God, to try to get us to compromise, to try to get us to lower our standards in Christ. The Bible says we are called to be imitators of Christ, not imitators of this world. The world has enough phonies. We are called to be the real deal, Holy Ghost-filled, born-again Christians, and to represent him correctly. He uses, he uses our own flesh, that old sinful nature, that old sinful man, pride, lust, unforgiveness, contentions, jealousies. He'll use these things to try to get us uh, to, to lose our peace. We're so focused on what's going on in other people's lives uh, that God is saying, I don't need you to pay attention to I need you to pay attention to me and what I'm doing in your life. And he uses idolatry. Idolatry is uh, when we uh, make something other than Christ, other than God, our focus. When we try to make something other than God our source of peace. Thank God for the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank God for the Holy Spirit tonight that he convicts us, he checks us, but he comforts us and he encourages us. And he lets us know when, when, we're, when we're slipping or maybe headed in the wrong direction, he, he gently uses that staff to correct us, as the Bible says, and get us back in tra on track and online. Because he loves us. And he loves us too much to allow us to stray. That's why backsliders don't have peace. Because you've tasted of the goodness of Jesus Christ. You've tasted of his love, and now you're searching in other things and in other places, trying to find that same love and that same peace, and you never will because it's only found in Jesus Christ. See, in God's will is our peace. In God's will, we often find both peace and the storm. 
Just because we're in the will of God doesn't mean we're going to not experience the storm. The disciples, they learned this. The book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 36 through 40. It says, and leaving the crowd, they took him, meaning Jesus, with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking onto that boat, uh, and so the boat was already filling. But he, meaning Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. He said, Quiet, quiet down. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. <clears throat> and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? See, it was the will of God for the disciples to be on that boat. And it was the will of God for them to be headed in the direction that they were heading in. It was the will of God for them to be where God had sent them to be. The problem was is that there was a storm there. And that storm was not going to back down just because these disciples wanted to be in the will of, in the will of God. And the problem really wasn't the storm. The problem was is that the, the, the disciples... They forgot that Jesus was with them. They were looking at the storm. They were afraid. Uh, they were looking at the circumstance around them, and it robbed them of their peace, uh, and they forgot who was on the boat with them. They forgot that Jesus was there. And that's why Jesus, after he calmed the storm, that he rebuked the disciples, because they had greater fear of the storm than they had faith in Jesus Christ. And when we're going through the storm, we got to remember who Jesus is in our lives. That Jesus isn't uh, limited by our limitations. That God isn't uh, weaker than the storms in our lives. He's greater than the storms in our lives. He's greater than the trials in our lives. And I think oftentimes because we think that God is silent in the middle of our storm, uh, that he's not present, that he's not there, that we've been forsaken. It's not true. He's there with us. But he's using those storms. He's using them to teach us things. One of the phenomenons of, of, um, that takes place during a hurricane is the eye of the storm. Now, we, ha we rarely have hurricanes. We had one this past uh, year, right? And it was much to do about nothing. <laughs> was, I was like, really? I was, I was ready. I wasn't ready. But... We don't really experience hurricanes on this side of the country, not like in Florida or uh, there along the um, Gulf of Mexico, the states along the Gulf Coast. Now, they experience hurricanes. They experience what a true storm is. They even have their own. We have fire season. They have hurricane season, right? And what takes place, though, is those winds are turning. And those winds are fast, and those winds are loud, and they're violent. But no matter how violent those winds are, no matter how fast they are, no matter how destructive those winds can be, and no matter how deadly those winds can be, in the center of that storm, the phenomenon that takes place is that there's peace. There's calm in the eye of the storm. The sun is out. The waters are calm. 
the wind is just a breeze. It's, a, it's, it's amazing what takes place there in the center of that storm. And what it is scientifically, now I'm not a scientist, so I can't really totally explain it, but what it is is that there's a phenomenon that takes place. It's called the Coriolis force. And what it is basically is that uh, no matter how hard those winds are pushing, they're trying to converge to the center where it's peaceful. Those winds are trying to en engulf the, where it's calm. But no matter how hard those winds blow, no matter how violent they are, those winds are met with this force that no matter how hard they push, that, that, that force pushes it right back and it keeps the center nice and calm, nice and still, nice and quiet. Doesn't matter the category. Three, four, five, whatever they, as high as they get, the harder those winds are blowing and the harder they're trying to get to the center, that force pushes it back with an equal and even greater resistance. And the lesson is, is that when Christ is the center of our lives, when Christ is the center of our world, whatever storm is coming against us, he is able to repel it. He's able to keep us at peace in the center of that storm. No matter how much the enemy would assault and how he would come against uh, our finances or our health uh, or our family or our relationships, uh, why he's trying to get to the center of our lives where Jesus is. But if Jesus is on the inside, he could able to push all of that back. He's able to rebuke those assaults of the enemy that come against your life. He's able to keep you at peace in the center of your storm. I'm not saying that you're not going to go through that storm but you can experience peace while you're in the thick of it, as they say. God is so awesome. He is so awesome. The book of Isaiah, chapter 59, 19. I love that scripture. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. That word st standard can be translated as the breath or the wind of God. And when the enemy is trying to come against your life and trying to come in like a flood, what do floods do? They bring damage. They bring destruction. But the Bible says that when the enemy is trying to come in like that, the breath of God, the wind of God is able to repel him, to push him back. It's a God who loves us. Storms, like I said earlier, they... They're used in our lives. God uses storms. He uses them to grow us. He uses them to strengthen us. He uses them to teach us. But you know what else he uses storms for? Is to prepare us for stronger storms, for the next storm that's coming. We, we can reference back to what took place before. And when that next storm approaches, we're not in panic. We're not in fear. We've been there before. Bring it on. I got God with me. Book of John, chapter 6, verse uh, 16 to 21. It says, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and they got into the boat, and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began, uh, became rough because of a strong wind that was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles away, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land in which they were going. Here we see that the disciples, they're in another storm. 
they're still in the will of God and they're still headed in the right direction, uh, but they're in another storm. They're struggling, but they're still going forward. And the thing is, is that the disciples, just like you and I, they were never alone. In verse 15 of, of this portion, I didn't read it, but the Bible says that Jesus was on the mountain praying. He was on the mountain praying. He saw what was going on. He saw what was taking place, uh, and he came out to them. He was able to walk on that water, and he, and he came to them. And as they saw him, he began to speak. And he says, uh, he says do not be afraid at his eyes. He comforted him, he comforted them with his word. And when you're in the storm, you need to be comforted by the word of God. It was our past um, conference, and Pastor Richard had some of the older gentlemen uh, speak and share wisdom, what has kept them over the years. And uh, Brother Tom, he said, you know what has kept me is reading the Psalms. Reading the Psalms. And Man, that made an impact. And I said, I, I've read the Psalms, but I'm going to start reading the Psalms. Because the Psalms is, is they're honest. It's worship. It's, it's David here saying, these are things that I've been going through, but God has been faithful with me, to me, all of the things that I've experienced. God has been faithful to me. This is uh, the same storm where Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on water as he saw Jesus. And even though Peter stumbled and even though he took his eyes off of the Lord and began to sink, uh, you know who was there to lift him up was Jesus. You know who was there to keep him from drowning was Jesus. And sometimes we can get overwhelmed. And sometimes we can feel like, I don't think I'm going to make it. And that's when we have to do what we've been trained to do is call upon the name of the Lord. Don't do it by yourself. You're not a, a one-man army. You call upon the name of Jesus. I read what this commentator said. He said, a lapse of faith is merely a stumble. The Lord loves to hear our cry for help. He is near to raise us back safely to our feet when we call to him for help. He didn't look at Peter and say, what is your problem? He didn't look at Peter and begin to condemn him. You call yourself a man of faith? He looked at Peter and he brought him up. Uh, he brought him up and kept him from perishing. And that's what he does to us when, 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 when we begin to take our eyes off of him and find ourselves sinking. What the disciples did is they were glad to hear his voice. They were glad to have him on board. They worshiped the Lord. And through worship, we experience his peace. Through his through worship, we experience his shalom, his peace, his completeness. We have good worship services here. And uh, when they sang uh, that last song, man, it took me back. I love that. hear that song. There's times, uh, there's, there's peace in the presence of God. And, and there's times when, uh, I'm speaking to me personally, when I can begin to feel stressed and anxious, when I feel anxiety trying to creep in. And I know... It's spiritual because I feel like an agitation in my spirit, an uneasiness in my spirit. And what I'll do, and it don't matter where I'm at, whether I'm at work or at home, or it doesn't, doesn't matter. So what I'll do is when I'm feeling that anxious spirit uh, trying to come is I'll go find a nice quiet place and I'll lock the door. And I'll just begin to worship. and I'll begin to pray. And I'll begin to sing to God. 
begin to remind myself who God is in my life and begin to remind myself that God is with me and whatever it is that I'm experiencing, it's rebuked in the name of Jesus. We wrestle not, right, against flesh and blood. The things we go through are spiritual. The anxiety, the stress, uh, it might be because of an outside force that the enemy would use, but it's spiritual. Spiritual, what's going on, what's taking place. And when we worship, we're realigning ourselves to God. We're exalting him. We're making God above all in our lives. We're making God bigger and greater than whatever problem, whatever financial need we might have, whatever sickness might be taking place. We're making God greater. We're exalting him above our circumstance and our situation. And when we make God greater, the devil becomes smaller. Our problems become smaller. They don't go away necessarily. We still have to deal with them, but now we're dealing with them with power, the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, and set your mind on the things above, not on the things above of the earth, on the earth. The Bible is reminding us to set our minds on Christ. Get our focus off of what's going on and, get our, and focus on Christ and focus on God. And he'll give us the strategy and how to deal with whatever it is we might be facing. Matthew Henry said, to seek heavenly things is to set our affections upon them, to love them, and to let our desires be towards them. That's why we have to allow our minds to be renewed daily. I read this other quote. It says, where the mind goes, the will goes. Where the mind goes, the will goes. What we occupy our minds with is what we're going to tend to follow. What we feed ourselves, what we ingest uh, is, is what we're, we're going we're to manifest that. Uh, so, so when we're in struggle, so when, when, when we have need, we've got to focus on Jireh, the need meter. Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides for our needs. Jehovah Shalom, the one who gives us our peace. Jehovah Nisi, the, the different names of God that, that are ascribed to his character, that whatever it is we might be going through, God is able to meet that. So wind this down here. Spoke earlier about idolatry. We think sometimes of idolatry as bowing down to some statue, but we can make idols out of anything. We can make idols out of work or our careers. We can make idols out of our education. We can make our family our idol. We can make money or leisure our idol. And in and of themselves, these things aren't bad, but when they begin to take the place of God, when they begin to take the place of the priority of God in our lives, we're robbing ourselves. We're robbing our peace. And we're dishonoring God by doing so. There's a story of, of Job and the rich young ruler. And both of these men, they were wealthy. They were both accomplished. They both had enviable lives. But the difference between the, the two of them was that Job was a worshiper of God. 
He knew how to worship God when he was wealthy and he was healthy and he had everything. But he also understood that all those things meant nothing and that when he had nothing and they were all stripped from him, he was still able to worship God. The rich young ruler, he was wealthy, but he had no peace. He had no peace because it was evident he came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have eternal life? There was an unease, there was a restlessness in his spirit. He knew that no matter what he had, there was still something missing. And the world is asking, what what do I have to have? What must I do to have eternal life? And the answer to the rich young ruler is the same as the answer to the world that asked that question, and that's turn to Jesus Christ. Let it all go. Let it all go and give your lives to Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, the rich young ruler, he was in the presence of peace himself, uh, and yet he couldn't recognize it. He couldn't recognize who stood in front of him and who was loving him at that moment. The Bible says that he went away sorrowful. If you're in this place and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have an opportunity tonight. In just a few more moments, you're going to have an opportunity to experience the peace of God in your life. You're going to have a decision that needs to be made, just like the rich young ruler. Do I want to hold on to whatever it is that's keeping me from accepting Christ, or do I want to let it go and serve him? See, we worship Christ because he's worthy of all honor and glory and praise. We worship him, and as we worship him, he covers us. He shelters us. And regardless of what might be coming against us, uh, as we worship God, there's that peace uh, and that he becomes our refuge. We need to make God our refuge. You ever been caught in a storm? I mean, like caught in a storm. I remember I was about 12, 13 years old, coming home from junior high. It was overcast, and then it just started raining. And I wasn't nowhere near home. And by the time I got home, I was drenched head to toe. And when I got to my front door, I forgot my key. (laughs) And so what happens in the storm is you try to seek refuge, right? So I was checking all my windows. They were all locked. I said, man. Went through the backyard, and praise the Lord, the garage door was open. And I got out of that storm. And I went inside that garage, soaking wet, cold, miserable, waiting for my mom, my dad, someone to come home and open that door, learn the lesson, don't leave home without your keys, right? But when you're in a storm, it's, you're miserable oftentimes. You know, nobody enjoys a storm. Some people might, you know. But nobody really enjoys being out in a storm. And that's why when we find ourselves going through it, we've got to make God our refuge. We've got to make God our shelter. We've got to find shelter in him, in a place of peace in him. Psalms 46, verses 1 and 2, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Psalm 62, verse 7, says, God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. And in Psalms 91, verses 1 and 2, he says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress. 
my God. In him, I will trust. As our worship team comes up, when we are in worship, when we are in that state where we're in the will of God, when we're looking to Christ, when we're at peace with our Lord and at peace with God, then we can find ourselves able to withstand whatever's coming against us. We're settled. We're not panicked. But we know that it's going to pass. God is greater than whatever it is we might be facing. And we know that when we're worshiping God, the enemy can't steal our peace. He can't steal our joy. The Bible says that joy is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Peace, peace within is the result of a life that is following Jesus Christ and that is dependent on Jesus. With our heads bowed tonight and our eyes closed in reverence to God, a few weeks ago, my oldest daughter shared a post with my wife and I, a uh, social media post. She was blown away because of this particular individual. He is a... um, He's a, a, a reggaeton singer. If you don't know what reggaeton is, it's, it's, it's hard to describe. It's Spanish music. It's very fast, very loud. But this individual, he was the king of reggaeton. And this individual had it all. He had fame, fortune. He had influence. There was nothing that this individual probably didn't have that he wanted. In fact, uh, he was saying that uh, he, at the time of, of, of this post, he was like worth $50 million. Back in 2006, Time Magazine said that he was one of the most top 100 influential people in the world. This singer, this musician. But he made this announcement in front of 18,000 people right at, uh, at the end of his tour, at the end of his concert. Uh, before he went off stage, he said these words. These are his words. This is Daddy Yankee, in case you're wondering. He said, living a successful life is not the same as living a life with purpose. He said, for a long time, I tried to fill an emptiness that nobody could fill. He says, and that's why tonight I recognized and I am unashamed to tell the world that Jesus lives in me and that I will live for him. Here he was, he he made this public confession that from this point on, he was gonna serve the Lord. He was ready to leave it all behind. One of his contemporaries, one of his fellow musicians, he said this of him, the impact he's already making. He says he's leaving everything to live for Jesus. And that shows that the call of the Lord is more powerful than the call of the world. Here's a man that uh, literally has anything he could want. He has it all by human standards, but he was empty on the inside. There was no peace on the inside. And he understood that the only way he's gonna ever find that true peace uh, in his life, that true purpose for his life, is to be ready to let it all go, leave it all behind, and follow Jesus Christ. Tonight, uh, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, 